Life is a blank canvas and you paint your own story. I'm Lee Rogers and welcome to The Blank Canvas. I'm going to be chatting with the trailblazers, artists, thought leaders, athletes, the entrepreneurs and creators, incredible individuals who inspire us to live large. I'm excited about today's guest, Deborah Lee Finesse. She's a dear friend and definitely in the force of nature category. A graduate of the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, Deborah Lee launches herself from one creative project to the next with relentless enthusiasm and charm. She acts, directs, paints, sculpts, and is passionate about design. An internationally acclaimed actress who's worked extensively on stage and screen, including award-winning turns in the movies Waiting, Jindabyne, Angel Baby, and Shame considered an Australian classic for which she won Best Actress at the Seattle International Film Festival, Film Critics Australia Award and the Variety Award. Television credits include the AFI-nominated role in Sea Change, Halifax FP and Corelli, where she met her future husband, Hugh Jackman. Deborah Lee's equally passionate about her humanitarian work, humanitarian work? Sorry, couldn't resist. She's founder of Adopt Change in Australia and Hope Land, which is based out of New York. Both organisations work toward providing safety, stability and permanency for vulnerable children. She's been honoured with many awards, most notably the Angel in Adoption from the Congressional Coalition on Adoption in Washington, D.C., New South Wales Australian of the Year in 2015, and more recently was recipient of the UN Women for Peace Leadership Award. Please welcome to the blank canvas, my mate, Deborah Lee Finesse. Deborah Lee Finesse, thank you for coming on the blank canvas. Absolute pleasure, Lee Rogers. Thrilled to be here. You know, as I was preparing for this this morning, so many memories came flooding back of shared experiences that we've had over the years. And I was trying to remember where I met you. Was it backstage at a gig in LA? <laughs> I remember what I did, did you- yesterday. I feel like I've always known you. I can't remember where it actually happened. But uh, we just I just feel like we've always known each other and then we became roommates. I know. I, I think I was in LA and I was just, I think I'd just moved there. And Kate, my future wife, Kate Sobrano, who you know. Um, Adore her, yes. She, Yeah, she had a, a showcase gig of some kind. I think it was backstage. It was in LA. And I remember coming to the dressing room after and I remember like meeting you and thinking, oh, my God, this woman's a force of nature. Who is this woman lighting up the room? And it was oh, you. Oh, you're very sweet. Oh, that's nice. And then we moved in together and I'd light up your morning. <laughs> <laughs> With muesli. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I, because Kate knew you and she introduced us and then I'd literally just moved there and Kate was just there for a gig and she was going back to Australia. And in fact, Kate and I were kind of like, oh yeah, we won't stay together. This won't last because I've just moved to LA and you live in Melbourne and that's that. So you then say, hey, I'm living in Century City. I think you're in, yeah, Century City in that yeah. white, like yeah. the white carpet, everything was white. And it's still all white, babe. That's my that's my canvas. I do white. Go on. <laughs> and then, yeah, you said, you know, um, I think it was, was it Tom Burlinson or Cameron Dado or someone yeah. was moving out and moving no, back to Tom Australia? No, Tom Burlinson was my roommate. That's right. And I he was going back to Australia 
And I said, do you, you know, because I had to find a relate to share with. And we had the whole Oz Mafia there, you know, it was like the Gumleaf Mafia. And we moved in together and the party began. And I went through the whole journey with you two as you slowly led up to the big proposal. <laughs> you did indeed. And in fact, that big proposal occurred in your bathtub, your jacuzzi bathtub. Exactly. It was a schnazzy bathtub. I think that's a great place to propose. <laughs> um, and I better add that you weren't in the bath at the time. <laughs> Thankfully, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very LA, wouldn't it? It probably would be, yeah, and a little embarrassing. <laughs> so that was a pretty magical time and I remember like the things that come flooding to mind are the Katie Lang record that got flogged to death. What Was it Ingenue? Or- Constant cravings is a uh, yes. I'm still a huge fan of her. Yeah, what a record! And then, uh, yeah. yeah, you singing other musical theatre numbers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I usually did like to do that, but usually after two glasses of wine, because I'm not really a great singer. So I, it was always very amusing. We, we were a good match. I, I have zero we musical talent, so you sound great compared to me. Oh dear. <laughs> The low bar. The low bar. <laughs> um, other things were Pepsi Max, carpentry. There was always woodwork around. There was paints around. Like, you know, I guess you were relentlessly creative, I'd have to say. I am still that way, I, I have to say. And that's why, you know, during this pandemic, um, that I, I just the creativity has gone on overdrive because it just has pushed me up. Just my whole head opens up. Exactly, I used to walk around with the tool belt. Everyone used to give me so much flack because I was always having a tool belt on. I was always looking at joins under tables. And I remember I made my big thing was a recycle bin. Before recycling was really big, yep. I made a recycle bin and I had it slatted and it looked beautiful because I'm in a real estate. And every, all my friends were teasing me about this recycle bin. And then we had a party. And everyone that came to that party said, where did you get that recycle bin? It was my proudest moment. <laughs> it's true. And this is in- I built it. This is in 92. So ahead yeah. of your time. Can't help it. Cutting edge. <laughs> Other things that came to mind were your Jeep. You had this cool soft top Jeep. That I could never get the top on and off, so it just stayed off, <laughs> yeah, even in the middle of winter. But it was LA. <laughs> Uh, another moment, a magic moment was seeing, we used to go and see a lot of films together, a lot of art films particularly, and one of them was like Water for Chocolate. Oh, yes. What a film. See, I'm a romantic. I'm a romantic and I love food and that was beautiful. That was a beautiful film. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? And we were just talking about this tonight. It's like, wow, the movie's going to stay with us, you know, after we've traverse this uh, world shift, a uh, movie's going to be a thing or are we just going to be watching at home? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So tell me at that time, because it was super early days with Kate and I, and I, as said, the proposal in the bathtub, did you think we'd make it or did you think, oh, yeah, this this will last five minutes? Are you serious you're asking that? Would I have nudged you and pushed you if I thought it was going to be a five-minute deal? And I was like Kate's big – I think she's a rock star – I loved you. I loved you both. And I just, yeah, it was like magic. I mean, you were both scared and so you should be. It's a huge commitment. But look at this. Here you are. You've got beautiful gypsy and you're just killing it. It's like you're, it's fantastic. No, I would never. And I'm usually pretty good actually at knowing when I see my friends who's going to make it and who's not. And I've got a good sense about that. I'm a very good yentle. I've brought a lot of people together. I sort of get a feeling. So, yeah, I felt very confident with you today. 
and I'm right again. (laughs) 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 Got to be right. Deb's always right, and I know he tells us that. Always, ask my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, thank you because you absolutely did support and encourage that union and that moment, and, um, yeah, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. No, pleasure. I think you're both great. You know, something I didn't know until I started preparing for today is that you two got married on my birthday. Are you serious? April 11th? The 11th of April, and it was exactly two months after Kate and I got married. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. That is so cool. So now there's no excuse for me not wishing you a happy birthday. (laughs) No way. I'll always remember it. Or me. It was the greatest wedding, I have to say. It was the greatest wedding I ever went to. Who, our one? (laughs) Or your one? Yeah, I was going to say, hang on. <laughs> Yours is pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, it was pretty, uh, yeah, that was kind of a pretty wild moment for, on um, many counts. I think our wedding was in Queenscliff in Victoria and I think. Such you, a beautiful location. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was gorgeous. And I think Hugh was doing Beauty and the Beast at the time and I think he was late. I think he mi- missed the, you know, the ceremony but arrived for the party. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. and then. When you guys got married, we were back in Sydney and I was literally shooting the first day of my movie, Dust Off the Wings, when you guys got married. So Kate came to Melbourne for your wedding. Yes, but I was in yes. Sydney shooting and I remember it vividly because literally when Kate came back from the wedding, we had the biggest fight we've had and we've oh. still never had a bigger fight in our entire 29 years together because she came home and she was so moved by – your wedding and how romantic it was. She came home and I'm making this movie, a black comedy about a guy getting married, living in Bondi. <laughs> and, and it was kind of, it was fairly dark. She came home and she just said, oh my God, I think we've made a mistake. Hugh is so romantic and this movie you're making and you, and this thing and living in Bondi and it's just not romantic. And I mean, literally plates got smashed. It was like one of those. No. Yeah. And see, I love, but that, see, I love that. I love passion and drama and weddings is always passion and drama that people get together, they break up, their families fight. I just love, I love that bringing together a moment. And I have to say black comedy is my favourite genre. It's, it's, I love black comedy because you've you got to laugh. For people to really, you know, take something in, we, we have to see the humour in it. But but you've also got to have the dark stuff because that's life. None of us gets out of jail free here. Life is not for the weak, you know, the weak-hearted. It's, it's challenging. And I love truth. And, you know, and there's such humour in the reality of the drama that we as humans create. You're absolutely right. Uh, couldn't agree yeah. more, and it's my favourite genre as well. There you go. That's why we were good roommates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did have fun. So I'm sure I'm not the only one with you that he sets the the bar so high when it comes to being a romantic man that, uh, yeah, I'm sure we're not the only one that's had that um, that argument. Um, he so- always apologises to me when he did his one-man show. Said so When he sings to me in the audience, he goes, sorry, guys, I know you're going to get shit later on. Duration <laughs> game. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, look. Let's um. Let's backtrack a bit to you. Like you're a superstar talent in your own right. I love your acting. You've always been such a natural actor. That Thank for, you. for me, I put you in the kind of the category of let's pretend actors. You're able to just effortlessly, you know, pretend and be that character and tell that story, and you can pop in and out of it with ease, which is a beautiful thing to watch. 
And I imagine... Uh, I don't think any actor does it with ease. I don't even think Meryl Streep does it with ease. The trick with, with acting is you make it look like ease. Right. Uh, you know, I'm one of those actors. I'm a real worker. Like when I do a film, I do so much preparation. I do so much backstory so that I, I feel comfortable within the character enough to play when I'm in there and shift and not stick to say, you know, maybe you've got an idea about it, but if you know that character that well, then you get to play. I love the surprise element when you're on the set and you're just living in that moment. That's when the magic happens. And that's what I love about acting. I mean, I'm like a child. I just like to play. That's a, you know, creativity for me. It's just a big sandpit, whether I'm cooking or making a recycle bin or acting. It's just, I love that creativity. It makes me feel alive. Yeah, that's beautiful. Couldn't agree more. I think that's why you will make a fantastic movie when you make the movie as well, because you, you used to doing that prep. And it's the same thing um, as a director. Yeah. I, I love directing, but only when I've done the prep and I've yeah. I've got all the ducks lined up and then I can get there and then I'm completely free to throw that out if something better uh, presents itself. And it's those magic moments that present themselves that you haven't planned for are often the best parts, aren't they? Absolutely. And it takes courage too. Yeah. It takes courage to just trust that, okay, let's go with that. And that's what I do. Like, yeah, I, you know, I've always said it that when I grow up, I want to be a director and I'm trying to make that happen. I've been busy being a mom and doing a whole lot of other stuff. Um, but I'm actually working on something at the moment to realize that I just went to Australia to direct a, a block of neighbors, the soap opera, where I got to do double duty because it was about uh, kids in foster care and adoption, which is my other passion um, for raising awareness around that and ensuring that all kids live in a safe and loving family. Um, but I got to direct, and I love it when my actors, you know, that I can be open enough and know my material well enough that when my actors bring something to the table, I can go, yeah, go for it. You know, I love to, I love that interaction and playing with actors and them realizing something that they hadn't thought about that happens in the moment. So, yeah, I think directing is great. It's so different to acting because it's, you know, I paint as well and it's like uh, directing is like a big canvas that you get to, you know, just create something, you know, with a whole team. I love that you have to work as a team with the writer, the, the, the cinematographer, the actors, the crew, and you all come together and create magic. It's so thrilling. Yeah, it is. It's Beautiful medium, isn't it? Well, you know, you do it. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you know, I directed some Neighbours Eps as well. There's, a, there's another Did you? thing we have in common. Yeah. Well, that's like directing school 101 because mm. I don't know if people realise, like on a film, you've got the luxury of time. In a soap opera, it's relentless. You've got to get that scene done and you've got a time limit. I said to my mentor director, and I was down there, I said, what happens if you don't get the scene shot? And she said, oh, you get it shot. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's actually a great teacher being in a soap because you have to work at speed and think on your feet really fast. Totally. I, I think the two toughest to directing gigs in Australia are Home and Away and Neighbours for that reason. Yeah. They, they are yeah, absolutely, absolutely intense. And when I was on Neighbours, they were um, – we had to mark up the scripts. We had three cameras and we were switching live. So I had to mark up the scripts, you know, wide shot here, two shot, close up, and you'd have to mark them up on the script before you got there. And that that was really intense. There was a huge oh, amount of Oh, wow. I didn't have to do that. That's interesting. Yeah. I was just like freestyling as I went at speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that was full on, but, yeah, amazing. And, and of course, that's why so much incredible, uh, you know, acting talent, directors and, you know. Uh, yeah, look how, how many great actors have come out of Neighbours. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, it is amazing. We've gone all over the place. Let's go back to you as a kid. What kind of kid were you at school? Adorable. I'm <laughs> um, kidding. Um, I was 
I was, you know, some could say naughty, some could say spirited. I, I, I was an only child, so I loved going to school because I, I got, I'm a very social creature, so I got to play with everyone. But yeah, but I also, I think I wasn't diagnosed as a child, but I think if it, if it was on the the menu, I would have had ADD because I'm like all over the shop, and you know, it, so it was hard for me to focus. But I, I, I did okay at school, but yeah. I would say some of the teachers with I remember my report card actually, which my daughter got recently. Um, Deborah Lee has great leadership qualities. If only she would lead the children in the right direction. <laughs> so, I, I was spirited, so we sh- shall we say. That's gold. What a quote that is. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. I just read, I didn't know this until I bloody read an article um, yesterday and it said you were the president of the Barbie fan club. Is that correct? Oh, thank you to my husband for getting that out there. Um, no, because he did an interview and just mentioned that he said her leadership qualities were evident as a child. Yes, I was the president of my local Ripon Lee Barbie fan club. So I got to decide what our Barbies wore and how the Barbie house was decorated. Wow, that's incredible. It's you impressive. Know, do you stuff. know, I'm, I'm sitting right now in Ripon Lee. That's where we live. I use I apparently Ripon Lee. I've heard this Ripon Lee in Victoria is one of the most spiritual places in Australia, wow. which I did not know. Yeah, and Ripon Lee, it's, it's definitely got an energy there. I think I think Ripon Lee is a great suburb. There you go. You go funny. I should mention Ripon Lee, and you're there. I'm psychic too. I have this psychic thing. I just pick up on stuff. That's amazing. You're in Ripon Lee. Wow. I went to Ripon Lee State School. Unbelievable. Didn't know that. There you go. So, okay, so spirited, naughty, um, I got it. And I went to 10 schools. I was always the new kid in, in school. So that was challenging. I bet. So, yes, did you, 10 did, different schools. Did you finish high school? No, I did leaving, which was 11th grade, because I was always going to be a lawyer. I just thought that's what I was supposed to do, because I'm a justice freak. Um, and then, because I was involved in the drama group at high school, I said to mum, I said, I think I really want to be an actor and I don't see the reason I don't see the reason of doing matriculation if I'm going to be an actor I want to go up to drama school and she said if you want to be an actor you could have a backup because it's very hard out there so I did a secretarial course and to this day I'm an unbelievable speed typist um, and then my first job out of there before my acting startup was at Channel 9 as uh, secretary to the director of news and Literally, my shorthand was so bad. He'd always say, Deb, don't worry, I'll ring the guy because um, I couldn't get the letter down. But he just thought I was cute, so I stayed on there. And then I went into journalism. From there, I got to work on a women's current affair program. So I went into, morphed into journalism, but then I finally got back to I'm like, nah. I went, took a year off, travelled the world, and I went, nah, I'm, I do want to be an actor. And that's when I took myself off to New York to go to drama school and was in New York for three years and fell in love with this city. I felt like Christopher Columbus. I was like, I rang home, I'm like, you guys, this city's amazing. And was here for three years during drama school, which was an enormous growing period for me creatively. And as a, you know, young girl, young Australian girl, I was really young and thrown in the middle of New York City. It was extraordinary. Incredible. So, yeah. I want to ask yeah. more about drama school in a minute. But um, before that, so you're leaving school. Do you think it's harder for kids now leaving school than it was, you know, back in our day or a generation or two ago? 100%. 100%. And I think we've realised, like, you know, the norm here in the US is you go to college, and I know everyone does it in Australia, we specialise. Um, but I think we're realising that, you know, that sort of organised education is not 
necessarily the be an an end all as to how you progress in life. You know, because kids come out of college with a huge debt and a degree and the jobs aren't there. And as it is in this world we're in today, it's not about sustainability. It's about regenerating because we have to think a whole new way about industry. Um, in New York, you know, I go down the street here, the, the retail industry is every second shop is a, is a pop-up or it's for, for rent or for lease. People now, it's all about online and, you know, here we are Zooming. We don't have to do the in-person. So industry and the way that we live is changing. So it's going to be rethought. So the next generation, we have to create what are the jobs? I mean, a lot of it's in IT. Um, I think it's very challenging for creative kids who are in the arts, especially fashion. Fashion industry is kind of kaputsky here. Yeah, I think it's much more challenging, especially as you say, I mean, we're coming out of this, you know, global pandemic where opportunities are really hard. I mean, I'm lucky. My son has just graduated from high school and he's actually taking a gap year, which a lot of the kids are because all the learning's online and kids don't like, you know, doing the online thing. They don't feel they get the experience. Um, but he's managed to work on his art and he's into organic farming, so he's working on that. But, yeah, I think it's really, really hard for kids now because it's, it's a new world and they have to create it. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It um, it just reminded me as you were talking to me, I just realised the first three guests that I've had on the podcast all left school at 15 and yeah. kind of found, you know, made their way, I guess, through the School of Hard Knocks and um, didn't take the, the university route. And that that's interesting because that's pretty well the first three people that came to mind when I thought, okay, I want to do a podcast about trailblazers and people that have sort of succeeded, you know, no matter the barriers. And I've just realised first three all left at 15. Isn't that a interesting um, well, that, that indication? Usually they're the out-of-the-box thinkers. They're out-of-the-box thinkers. Most people, you know, in the arts, they're out-of-the-box thinkers. So they don't necessarily learn in the traditional sense, you know, so they go off and create their learning environment or community and learn a different way. And they usually, through that innovation, end up being the trailblazers. Yeah, interesting. You know, uh, you look at all these titans of industry, a lot of them, you know, exactly went to like third form or something. And they, they had they forged ahead, knew what they wanted to do and went for it, took risks. Very interesting. The, the fourth guest on, the first one who, you know, went to uni is actually Eddie Perfect. And he comes to mind because he was just living in New York. Did you catch up with Eddie or see Beetlejuice while while that was on? Yes, we did actually. Yes, I did see Beetlejuice, but I didn't catch up with Eddie. I don't know. You don't know him? Yeah, really talented no. guy. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting guy. But, yeah, he was ducks of his school, went to uni. He, he took that whole route. Wow, yeah. Some yeah. Of them did. You know what? It's not one size fits all. We all grow at our own pace and what works for one's not going to work for another. That's right. So let's go back to you at the New York, was it the Institute of Dramatic Art? The American Academy of Dramatic Art. So that was three years. I mean, you didn't have a heap of money when you got there. How did you survive? Did you waitress or what did you do to make money and eat? And I've never been a waitress. I don't think I'd have the patience. Uh, no, I used to do telephone um, research and I got to multitask. So I would do, I'd be the telephone caller person and I would work because I was Australian. I had to be in punitive speech class at drama school to get an American accent. So whenever I do my phone job, I like, well, hey there, this is Deborah Lee calling from the rope call. We'd like to ask, hello, 
hello. <laughs> They'd always hang up on you. We had to do this telephone survey stuff and I would just do all my accents. Hi there, it's Deborah Lee calling from the Roper Pool. You know, I just practiced my American accent. So I did that. I worked at a gym. I just did all these, you know, little bits and pieces. I was Miss Cigar for a cigar magazine. I had to wear a sash. I mean, we all just did these crazy jobs just to get money. But it was a wondrous time. I mean, here am I, this young kid from Australia. And at that time, there were no other Australians. People would say to me, oh, wow, you've really picked up the language really quick. I'm like, excuse me? We speak English in Australia. And they, I was like this anomaly because there were no Australians here. I feel like one of the early settlers. And it was just, it was magical. I, you know, New York City is a very exciting city because it's people from all walks of life. And usually you don't come to New York unless you really want to do something. It's A-type personalities. And, you know, everyone was like me as far as I can say. They all had ADD and was like, boom, 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 was so fast. And I, was, I rang home to mom. I go, ma, they're all like me. I love it. So it was a thrilling time for me. I loved my time in New York as a kid. Well, as a, you know, 20-year-old in drama school. What a thrill it must have been when you came back um, several years later uh, with your movie Shame and there was a massive billboard yes. of you in Times Square. <laughs> That was pretty cool because they didn't tell me it was there and I was, I was coming back to do press all over America and as we were driving into Times Square, which is, you know, I was there with all my drama school buddies used to go and get cheap tickets to go and see theatre and there in the middle of Times Square was this huge billboard of me and Leathers looking like this really tough check, which I sort of am not. Um, anyway, um, and it was like, oh, my God. And mum said, take a photo. And I said, I haven't got a camera. And she was like, buy one. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was great to to come back and you know, and and to come back to promote a film. Awesome. And tell me, I don't know how many years later, but what an incredible kind of another moment in New York where you're back there with Hugh. He's starring in The Boy from Oz. You know, oh yeah, really, that was great. I mean, I actually saw. I was in New York um, directing a job at that time, and I don't know if you remember, but I saw the second last show of The Boy from Oz. Um, in New York that day, and we saw that show, and then I saw the, pre- the the New York premiere of your short film, Standing Room Only, which you directed. Oh, that's right. That was at the same time, yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, this is just an out-of-control kind of, you know, name-dropping, extraordinary New York experience. And then that night we went to a party at Donna Coran's place. Yes, yes. She's still one of my best friends. She's an amazing woman, an amazing creative. Yeah, and that, that apartment looking over Central Park. Central Park. Oh, my God, she's got one of the best apartments in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah, that was extraordinary. I remember looking out over that and I had a conversation with her about you and I was like, oh, yeah, Deb and I used to live together and blah, blah, blah. And she said, you do realise that Hugh and Deb are like the king and queen of New York now. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Could you ever yeah, have imagined we- that when you were at drama school? Look, you and look, what is that? It's all illusion. It's all like, you know, it was a fleeting moment of fabulousness and fun. You know, it's just a moment. You you can't buy into that. It's just what it is. But it was fun. Yeah. It's a game. You gotta you gotta the best yeah. way of looking at yeah. life is as a game, isn't it? Yeah, as a game. You don't get attached to anything. It's just like, you know, how it appears and in that moment it's great and then you have challenges. It's all it's all just part of the puzzle and it all teaches you. And you know, that was a great time, yeah, because I got to show my my film and Hugh was starring on Broadway and it was so well received and it was exciting it was, and you know our kids were young and it was an exciting time how is it living in New York now so you were first there you know as a kid 
uh, no money, nobody knew who you were, and now she's one of the biggest movie stars in the world and I'm guessing it restricts what you can do and your movements. Do you need security? Like how does that nah. impact your life? You know what, we, ne- we always looked at it. Like as my kids were growing up, say, you know, like the paparazzi say, you know, we could make that, oh, there's a paparazzi. But we go, there are the trees and there are the paparazzi. We never vilified them. That was a part of our reality as, you know, people who were known. I mean, is it annoying? Yeah, because you can't have private moments. My my son would like to go for a walk with his dad and, you know, he would be, you know, intimidated by the attention. But, you know, no one's going to feel sorry for us. It's like that comes with the territory. But well, I forgot the original question. What did you ask? Oh, just um, the the experience of being there, you know, when you first got there compared to now, like how, oh, yeah. how has that no, impacted you know your life? And We're you've so, sort of answered the question, yeah. No, but it is what it is. We've never had security. We've never made – we feel so ordinary. Sometimes when people are staring, we're like, what are they staring at? I'm like, oh, yeah, right, the same thing. Like we're so normal. It's, we're frighteningly normal. And we don't really, you know, make that a, uh, an issue. You know, our kids are aware that, yeah, their dad's Wolverine. They <laughs> get a little extra, oh, your dad's Wolverine. But, you know, they use it sometimes and <laughs> whatever. But, yeah, it just is what it is. It's like anyone whose father does something or mother does something that's different. Yeah, well, but in New York, we're not that different because everyone here, I mean, we were dull at, at Ava's uh, school. You know, there were mime artists and the, it's such an array of different people from all over the world, cultures and occupations that was fascinating. That's what I love about New York. It's like you, you don't need to travel. It's like you can go to Chinatown, you can go to Japantown, you know, Little Italy, and it just the whole world comes here. So it's like travelling without having to go through security. Gotcha. You've rubbed shoulders with, I guess, all kinds of interesting people there, as you say. Did you ever come across Epstein at any of these uh, New York do's? Thankfully, no. I just watched the documentary. He's pure evil. I mean, that man has took advantage of these poor young girls. It's just appalling. Yeah, it's heartbreaking stuff, isn't it, Kate? And I just yeah. watched some of it as well. Yeah, shocking. So thankfully, no. Although I did meet Ghislaine Maxwell way back in the day, who's about to go, yeah, she's about to go down. I mean, she was a socialite party girl that everyone knew in the day about 20 years ago. And who knew? Who knew? Yeah, it's just frightening. A, yeah, it's a horror story. Yeah. Wow. So let's jump around back to Australia when yeah. you're starring in an ABC TV drama, Corelli. Just tell me, <laughs> tell me a, a little bit about that moment in time. Uh, when I got that role, I was like, great, great. It was a great role for a woman. And um, they said this guy, Hugh Jackman. I go, who? Never heard of him because um, it was his first job out of drama school. So I hadn't met him. and. Uh, we started working together and it was literally like instantly we just, I'm not saying romantic, it was just a connection, like a powerful connection. Um, And it was thrilling going to work every day. And the way we, when we acted, it was like a great tennis match, you know, just volley. And it was just back and forward and we had the best time. Um, And then we, I I realized very soon when I, he wasn't on set that day, I'm like, oh, he's not here. But my New Year's resolution was no more actors and definitely not under 30. Meet my husband. I'm full of it. <laughs> but, yeah, it was like it was just it was it, it's unbelievable. It was very powerful when we met and it was just we got each other and it was so exciting and just the working together and, and I broke my rule of never getting involved with someone I work with. But it was worth it. 
<laughs> it worked out. That is so wild because I remember just before that we were living together in LA and, you know, it was a bit of a rough. That's right. It was, it was before that. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit of a rough time because um, you're thinking, okay, you know, I'm not getting enough work. Do I stay here? Do I go home? I haven't, you know, achieved everything I set out to do here. I feel like there's, you know, more for me. <laughs> in, yeah. in the US, but then- Well, it was the classic LA moment, auditioning, auditioning, rejection, rejection. It's tough. It's like people don't realise how people can go for years of not getting anything, and I'm just totally impatient. And I think I just, and I, what happened was I actually saw a fortune teller. Someone said, you've got to see this person, and she said, you have to go back to Australia. She goes, everything falls into place back there. And she's the one that said it, but I was also feeling at the time I'm over LA, because it just, it, it's it's hard going, exactly, just sort of being in Hollywood all the time. And I was just a bit bored with it. And this woman said, you have to go back. And I did. And everything she said sort of happened. Like I just kept working nonstop and then I met Hugh and just my my world changed. i got to say it was a whole lot harder back there for Aussie actors going to LA. I mean, it was really hard. Once they, they yeah. knew you were Australian, you had that accent, they were like, no, you can't do, you know, yeah. you can't do an American. Aussies don't do good American accents. This It was like super hard, whereas now, I mean, it's almost like they're just on the lookout for for any kind of talent, any actor coming off Neighbours, Home and Away, any of the great um, yeah. Aussie shows. They're like seem to be straight to the top of the list as far as consideration goes for shows just in the US now. Just for actors and for, yeah. for crew, for, for cinematographers, Absolutely, Australians got a good work ethic. I mean, they're really valued in in the industry. Totally, yeah. yeah no, it's true. Incredible! Wow, that just blows my mind because I remember so vividly some of those deep conversations we had around the kitchen there. Going and because yeah. I was going through a similar thing, I got to LA. I got a few jobs straight away. I was like, "Wow, this is fantastic!" It's on for young and old. And then the next minute, I lost a couple and lost a few more. And then I was like, "Okay, do I stay here? Do I go home? I'm running out of money." No, yeah. no, no, no. It yeah. was it was like it was intense. So we went through a similar thing at a similar time. And absolutely, it's like Vegas. It's like you shoot the dice, and it's like you that, just that, don't know. That's you it. don't know. But we attach too much to it. You've just got to look at okay, this is an activity. Like I've really grown in that way. Like I've been, you know, so much reading so much and listening to so much. Every activity, you can't look at it as a success or failure. It's just an activity for the for us to perceive. And, you know, we place so much judgment on things where we just should, be, if you're present in the moment, you just enjoy every moment, whether you get the gig or not. It's like just enjoy the process. This is my whole new way of being. I want to enjoy the process and not put all the attention on on an outcome. It liberates you as an artist to feel free and brave and courageous and it's just more fun. So, I, you know, I think that when you're young, it's like you say, I've got to make my mark in the world, i got to do this. You know, and I was totally that. I was very, you know, achievement orientated and, and, and competitive and was in the game. But I, I don't feel that way anymore. I don't have that same perspective. I love that. It really frees you to throw yourself off the ledge and have a crack at things, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just read a book and I, I put this out there for any young artist to read, The War of Art. Not The Art of War, that's a whole war thing. The War of Art. And it's by Stephen Wakefield and it really encompasses what it's like for an artist 
to because being an artist, you, you, it's about your expression, and so much of what we do is says who we are. Um, one interesting thing in the book is he said it was easier. This shocked me. It was easier for Hitler to start the Second World War than it was for him to stare at a blank canvas. Like it's so intimidating to put just yourself out there on the line. And as an artist, that's what you've got to do. You've got to have the courage to say as a writer, as an actor, as a director, as a painter, you know, this is who I am. This is what I, I've got to contribute. So it takes courage, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Courage. Hey, it takes courage to wake up. <laughs> does it does at the moment, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, um, hearing you talk then, it reminded me of your lovely mum, Faye, and Aww. what a beautiful woman she was and, and how much your attitude and positivity came from your mum because she was such an incredible woman. Must miss her. She was an ex- – I miss her daily. She sits at my desk every day. I still talk to her and ask her for help and guidance. She was an extraordinary woman. I mean, my mother just – Everyone, for everyone who doesn't know her, she everyone called her mama. She was like this giving, generous spirit, and she gave to everyone. And I sort of, she gave me the confidence to go out into the world. But I remember I went for my first audition, I didn't get it, and I was like, "What?" Because <laughs> I was so used to like my mother. You're no matter what I did. I mean, at five, she goes, "Darling, you're amazing as a dancer." And the dance teacher had said to her, "She's not a dancer. <laughs> don't don't let her pursue this career." Um, but she just instilled in me, you can do anything, and 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 such uh, support and gave me the confidence to go out there and pursue my dreams as wild as they were. She was an amazing woman. She got the Order of Australia before she passed three years ago. Um, the Governor-General came to actually to the house to give her her honours. She fought relentlessly for kids with cancer and started the Fight Cancer Foundation. She was amazing. Yeah, her her service, I have to say, was one of the most powerful things I've experienced in my life. It was mm. it was mm. a deeply spiritual experience, wasn't it? Yeah, she was an extraordinary woman. On your Faye. Oh, good on you, Lee. Everyone, all my friends love mum. They're oh. all like, oh, Faye. Yeah. She yeah. was a party girl too. <laughs> oh, wow. So tell me about your lovely kids. Oh, my gosh, Oscar, he's like, it's so weird. Like my daughter said to me the other day, Mom, it's weird. I feel like an only child because he's like 20 now and it's like it's all about independence and he's finding his purpose and his path. And, you know, we, we expect these kids like, right, I'm going into medicine, I'm going to do this. They don't know. He, you know, he's, I said, darling, follow your passions. He is a gifted artist, as it turns out. But for some reason he thinks, oh, that's not a proper job. I'm like, it is. You can, you can make it doing that. So he's working on his art. He's also passionate about uh, agriculture and permaculture and wants to change the world through that, which I think this is the new trend with all of us because we have to create a world where we our immune systems are strong and organic and healthy. So I think we're going to go back to a much more natural way of being. So he works on an organic farm and does his artwork and he's, he works with um, an art initiative where he goes and, uh, on this blue bus project and finds junk and turns it into art and works with underprivileged kids. So that's his part of his week. He does service. And Ava, she's volunteering at the food bank down in the Hamptons because there, there used to be 50 families that needed help. There's now 400 families um, because of obviously hard times. Um, and she's a typical 15-year-old that, you know, has to spend far too much time with the parents who are annoying apparently. I keep telling her I'm just the funnest mum in the world, but she's not buying it. 
So uh, yeah, but they're great. I mean, and they're the greatest teachers. I mean, uh, my gosh. Oh, aren't I've they? I've learned so much from my kids. And they push your buttons and all that stuff. Oh yeah. Well, I'm not telling you anything. I'm sure you have an experience. Yeah, Gypsy's 16 right now, and yeah, it's a it's an intense time for for kids right now. It's such a um, you know, so much uncertainty around. It's uh, yeah. but you know, the silver lining is we we're getting to spend more time with them, and it's um, been amazing. I mean, we've got to look at the positives. Yeah, we are. I think people. I feel like Mother Nature is saying, guys, wake up. Look at your priorities, you know, with environment, with family. I think people have really we've been shaken by this. And I think there is oh, look, I there's a lot of tragedy and a lot of um hard times for people, but th- we've got to take the positives too. There are a lot of positives that are gonna come out of the this experience, this journey. Yeah, agree. Tell me a bit about adopt change. Um obviously this was part of the process of adopting your children. Just Tell me a little bit about that and the great work you've done. I never set out to be an advocate. It's not who I – I didn't think it was who I am, but I went – we started the process of adoption and went to a meeting in, in Victoria and I was just appalled at how negative it was, how difficult it was. I saw a room full of, you know, potential parents and I had travelled the world and see how many children were in need of families and the bureaucracy kept them apart. Um, anyway, so – I was kind of shocked. We ended up, you know, we had moved to America, so we adopted our children here. But because we we're well known, people come to Australia and say to me, we'd love to adopt, but it's too hard. And then one day I just went, yeah, why is that? And from that question, I spoke to the, the Sydney Daily Telegraph. And then uh, from that, it opened up a huge can of worms. And then all of a sudden it was like everyone, all the press media wanted to speak to Deborah Lee and her action lobby group. There was no action lobby group. I was like, pick up dry cleaning, ring the Daily Telly and say, this is BS. Anyway, my my publicist is like, she's not speaking to anyone until she speaks to the Prime Minister. That was how it began. And all of a sudden, the whole community came to me, keep talking, keep talking. And then I realised there was an anti-adoption culture in Australia, which people are unaware of. There was an inquiry done, which was created out of past practices from, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, women who had children out of wedlock were were sinners and they were shamed which is so shocking given no support sort of had to relinquish their kids anyway a whole dysfunctional system was created and i just opened the question and everyone else came in as a community we kept talking we've been talking for 12 years and i'm thrilled to say now that the governments all the governments are on different pages but we're coming together realizing permanency is key Children kept in foster care do not thrive. Institutional care is no place for a child. They don't develop mentally, physically, emotionally, cognitively, and we have to come up with better solutions. I'm not depending on our politicians to do that. I'm saying we as community have to all come together and realise they're all our kids, that we need to step up and say, no, this is not okay, we've got to find a better system. Um, J.K. Rowling has created an initiative, Lumos, who she's closing down orphanages all over the world. People think, oh, you know, orphanages, they get fed and they get health. But no, these children are damaged for life. They, they, don't, they don't thrive. They, uh, I've, nothing worse. I've been to Ethiopia and saw depressed children. It's shocking. So we've got to come up with better initiatives. So Adopt Change has really grown. Governments are realising we need permanency. We lobbied New South Wales government, gave us money to create a pre- and post-adoption service, which you have to support everyone that's involved in this journey. There's 45,000 kids now traversing 
out of home care in Australia, which is unacceptable. So we just keep talking, keep talking. Even by doing neighbours and directing neighbours, it's people are realize, seeing through characters they know and love. They get to see what the journey is and what it's like for these kids. So by raising awareness, we're going to create change. And I have Hopeland in, in New York, which was created because I said, okay, why are there so many kids? And the reason, the biggest reason there's so many kids is poverty. You know, neglect is a fancy word for poverty. You know, people can't look after their kids. It's not that they're bad people, that they don't want their children. It's, you know, sometimes there's, you know, dysfunctional situations, but it, poverty is the biggest reason. So Hopeland, we're addressing reunification with families, supporting families so that they can stay together, that they don't have to go further down the track to end up in orphanages or foster care. So, yeah, it was. It all sort of just came together over my years of sort of doing this. But, yeah, I did not set out to do this. It just sort of like swept me up, took me off, and some good things have come out of it. So it's good. Hats off to you, Deb, because I know you've put a huge number of hours um, into helping on this front. And I know, you know, you and uh, Hugh and family are already uh, pretty busy people and it's meant a lot of travel and, um, you know, a lot of time. So that's awesome. Thanks, darling. Yeah, no, it feels good when you see when you see it move. But mm. hey, I'm not a politician, but I can see with politics it takes a long time to shift things. Yeah, yeah, it does. So what are you, what are you guys up to now? I mean, obviously you're at home in New York, and we're coming out of the pandemic. But um, what projects for you and Hugh are, um, are up next? I'm working on a script at the moment. I'm working on a film script. Um, trying to create it. I'm also painting and sculpting. Hugh is baking. Um, we are also building a house, so that is a lot of design work. We're being so creative, we're, and we're with our kids. We're really um, having really quality time with them, and you know, engaging conversations. And and you know, there's so much happening in the world that they want to be a part of. Like Black Lives Matter, they want to go to the protest. It's scary, but we want to support them. You know, so they they're sort of participating in that. Um, Hugh was supposed to be on Broadway like in September, but that's obviously not happening because most of the patrons there are tourism and no one's rushing to New York in a hurry to come and sit in a crowded theatre. So that's been delayed, but he's still preparing for the show, so he's still working on his dance and singing and all that. And so we, we just keep charging ahead and being creative we're reading a lot of books and listening to a lot of podcasts we're getting smarter i mean every morning and i always feel like we thrive with rituals like we even when you know we're where you have to create structure for the, your day especially now when it's like we can't make plans and we don't know what's happening which is scary so we have a whole ritual every morning where we we read for half an hour we meditate we walk the dogs we do our workout and then we start our you know creative day and go about doing what we're going to do so i feel busier than ever frankly at the moment because also we're shopping and cooking and cleaning and blah, 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 doing all that you know what it's like so it's life but it's kind of you know you just do what you got to do and as long as you're present you can make it joyous sounds good are you going to head back to australia when the borders open up well we wanted to come for christmas the very fact but it's like i don't think we can because we haven't got the time to sit in quarantine for two weeks. So we really wanted to come down for Christmas, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. But, yeah, as soon as it opens up and if, you know, if he's not back on Broadway, we'll definitely come down there. The kids really want to go too. They love Australia. Yeah, cool. Hey, um, 
Tell me about the baking. Can I see some of his handiwork? Have you got any there hanging around? I do, actually. You really want to see it? I want to see it. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll hold you back, Hang on. Okay. Welcome back from the kitchen. Behold, Deborah. this is a beautiful thing. Wow. That is no flour. Look at that. Look at that goodness. There is no flour. It is full of flaxseed, nuts, raisins, seeds, and it is delicious. It's very nutty and earthy. It's nutty and earthy, a bit like us. <laughs> it looks. It does look very dense. I reckon if if you had a burglar or someone, if you hit him over the head with that, whack him over the head. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I do. I could do my weights every morning with this. <laughs> Who knew? Hugh, the baker. Okay. See, look at the discoveries. You're putting it in a situation, you've got to get creative. Necessity is the mother of invention. I love it. That's gold. Hey, um, just tell me about your routine again. It got me thinking about mine. I'm like a super early riser. I'm up around like 5, 5.30 and I've... I, no, you're not. You get up at 5. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. Why do you get up for um, Oh, look, I think just years of early surfing and um, working in the film business, which... You know, you usually start early. My body clock's just used to it. So when our daughter was born, I'd be the morning guy and do all that. And so that was another sort of era of being up early. Anyway, yeah, I'm up early. I mean, at the moment, I'm literally working out in the backyard at like 5.30 in the morning for like 20 minutes or something because I can't swim. The pools aren't open. I can't go surfing. So I do a workout there around 5.30, do some emails, have some breakfast, have a cup of coffee, you know, get work done. And Kate's usually at the moment with no gigs. She's usually up maybe around seven or eight. And when she wakes up, oh, you know, I let the dog in. That's right. I take the dog out. That's the first thing. I take the dog out into the garden. He has a pee and then he runs in and runs into Kate's bed or, you know, our bed. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I go and do my stuff. And then when she wakes up, I make her a coffee and, you know, that's the start of the day. There you go. See, I love, we all have our rituals. I know it's the same thing. Well, yeah. Well, Hugh, actually, my Christmas present this year was that he was going to make me a cup of tea every morning and read to me for half an hour. So this is my Christmas present that is still I'm still having bearing the fruits of. But yeah, we get up and we we pick a good book that's really interesting and we talk about it and it's like really you know it's sort of so straight away when you wake up it's like it it just starts you thinking about stuff of substance. So we have that read, we have a chat, then we do our meditation, and then yeah, the the, the dogs routine. Take the dogs, they got to do the thing, and we're here in New York, and you know the park, our little park out the front here is like a gymnasium at the moment because the gyms are all closed. So everyone's out there working out and there's a whole, you know, you've got yogis and, you know, Tai Chi and trainers, so that's all happening. And then, yeah, we come back to our workout by Zoom and then emails and then, yeah, start the day and the day just takes off. It's like one moment because the next, the next, the next, and it's just keeps going. Yeah. Wow. Wow, and then when we've been then at night, we're loving our Netflix and our, different series. I just finished Ozark, which was so fun. Oh, incredible Ozark, isn't it? My so fav- favourite of the last couple of years. How good is that? Yeah. How good is that? Yeah. And um, Laura, the fabulous Laura Linney, who I did a film with in Australia. I did Ginger Bine with her in Australia. Oh, yeah. And Jason Bateman, who's awesome. Yeah. And I'm yeah. missing my succession. I love succession with that fabulous Australian actress. Oh, my God, what's her name? Oh, yeah. That, oh. that, that, that show is incredible. Um, yeah, and yeah, I've forgotten the name, the redhead. Um, yes, but I can't think of the name. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're loving our, our TV and we're watching uh, Stranger Things with our daughter. Oh, yeah. I, I watched the first season of that with Gypsy too. It's cool. 
Yeah, was, I'm into it. Yeah, it was good. It was a good, yeah, good combination. I love the um, the sort of retro '80s soundtrack music. Yeah, used. it's we're just sitting there going ka-ching. How yeah. much is it costing to play this record? Yeah. And our son is into Curb Your Enthusiasm and The Sopranos, which is like that's '80s too, isn't it? Uh, probably '90s. Probably, 90s, okay. Probably, well, he loves the Sopranos. Probably 90s. Yeah, I love that. When um, that series first started, I got a call from my mum saying, oh, there's a big new series premiering about Kate on, on you know, Channel Blah on Sunday night. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, God, I haven't heard anything about it. Wow, okay. I check it out. It's, it's the Sopranos, not the Sopranos. That's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, yeah, it was that cold. It's too funny. Yeah. Hey, tell me about Ginderbine. Great film, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Ray Lawrence, who I think is one of our great film directors in Australia. Um, it was such an unusual sort of film and an amazing cast. And yeah, it was just a, a great experience. You know, Gabriel Byrne, Laura Linney, uh, John, oh my God, from Sea Change. Uh, John Howard? Yes, John, thank you. Yeah. John Howard. Yeah. See the age thing, you forget names. Um, anyway, it was it, amazing, amazing director, cast, everyone. And it was just a really cool film. Yeah, it was. And talking films, just back on Shame, I just watched it again a couple of days ago. I saw it like, ba- yeah, I watched it back in the day. But I tell you what, wow, watching that as a dad of a 16 year old girl, holy shit, that's a powerful film. It, it to this day, I mean, they just, it's so weird. They just showed it um, last year at the New York Screen Forum. And, you know, this film is 30 years old. And everyone there was so moved by it, had a big discussion afterwards. It was, um, Tragically, it's still relevant to this day. For anyone who doesn't know, it's about rape in a country town. Um, but it, it got such an amazing reception 30 years on. I mean, it's a really great Australian film. I think it's, it says so much and it's, you know, it's a great um, empowering film for women too because, you know, the character I played was not common in those days that, you know, instead of a guy and a horse in a Western, it's a chick on a motorbike coming into a small town to shift it up. That, was, that has been my favourite role to ever play. I loved her. I've got to say I think it is one of the classic Aussie films and I just I think the way it was handled, it was such a fine line the way that character would be portrayed. You know, you were tough, yet you were feminine, you were this, you were that. It was just like it it, it hit all the right notes and I appreciated it much more this time around than I did the first time. And oh, I love hearing that. Thanks, Lee. I'm yeah. thrilled you watched it again. I know it was great, actually. They showed it at another film festival in Australia, in Melbourne and my kids were there, so it was good. They got to see their mum being a badass and not a pain in the ass. <laughs> did you... Ride the motorcycle, or was that a um, a stunt or a stunt double? (laughs) (laughs) I had a few doubles show. Let's say I didn't do the wheelie down the main drag. Cool. Well, look, that feels like a good spot to wrap it up. What a treat, Ted. Thank you, darling. It's so lovely to talk to you and see you, and I follow you all on Instagram. So that's what's great about Instagram. I feel like I'm totally in touch with everyone. Send our love to everyone, and hopefully we'll see you in Melbourne in the flesh very soon. Can't wait. Love to Kate and Gypsy. I love to you. Bye, darling. See you, Deb. Thanks for joining me for this week's yarn. When I think of people who embrace life with the glass half full. Deborah Lee always comes to mind. What a lucky man is Hugh Jackman. If you'd like to find out more about Adopt Change and the work Deb does to help kids, 
go to adoptchange.org.au or ourhopeland.org. You can find these links in the show notes as well. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, subscribe, rate and review on your platform or share on your socials. Next week's guest is Simon Mannering. Aside from being one of the world's leading keynote speakers, he's a New York Times bestselling author and CEO of We First, the creative consultancy that strategizes, integrates and activates the growth, productivity and impact of the world's most successful brands. Okay, I read that bit off Simon's bio, but seriously, this guy's razor sharp. If you're an entrepreneur or a business owner or actually anyone who's trying to adapt the changing business landscape and who isn't in 2020, then you need to hear Simon's take on these things. Until then, have a great week and live large. The Blank Canvas is produced by Lee Rogers and me, Rin MacDonald, with audio support by Jason Murphy at Gas Inc. and music by Rodrigo Bustos. This has been a Milovich production.